we are destroying the ecosystems by the wrong kind of farming and then we are also destroying the human health. So we do have some problems in the food chain actually. We also focus in on a hero ingredient to start which is jackfruit. From the very early on we actually decided that we want to focus on the oats. So it's not a high protein product, I mean it's not in the same league as soy or pea or oats, but again what we... What the? Broadcasted from Silicon Valley, the most innovative spot on earth. Corporate, the place for corporate executives that transforms innovative threats into business opportunities. And now, let's get ready to rumble with the host, Tommaso. Awesome, outstanding, and I'm very excited and thankful for you guys taking the time to join our top floor. Actually, we are already in our eighth episode of uh, Top Floor, where we handpick uh, startups that present sector-specific innovation. When I say sector-specific, focused on ag, focused on food photos, on the next generation of it, uh, to a jury of industry fellow. And, uh, and this is already season two that we are running here. We have an amazing and a great lineup of speakers that we just had the pleasure to chat with. And I would like actually to formally start introducing and presenting our speakers, starting up with our entrepreneurs, because when it's top floor, we have entrepreneurs presenting to industry fellows. So we have Maya, Maya. It Conan, I hope I pronounced your, your name correctly, who is uh, CEO and co-founder at Golden uh, and Green Foods. Maya, what a pleasure to have you here. Very curious to hear about your startup. Thank you. And, uh, and Daniel Rigla. Uh, Daniel, what a pleasure to have you. Is co-founder at Karan. Awesome. So great to have you here on our top floor. And on this other side of uh, the table, we have three industry fellows um, and starting things with NJ Kinney, food product development scientist, plant-based protein expert and food in the food and beverage industry. MJ, so great to have you here in our talk today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's really a great opportunity to be a part of this conversation. I'm really looking forward to your presentations, Maya and Dan. Honored. Adelmo Monsalve Gonzalez, Encantado, PhD scientist, researcher, associate and partner at CGB and Associates LLC. What a pleasure to have you again here on our top floor, Adelmo. Thank you. And without further ado, I would like to kick off things and start with Maya. Maya, you're ready to rock the screen, not the stage. Yes, yes, thank you so much. So, okay, my company is called uh, Golden Green Foods. My name is Maya Itkan and I'm the CEO and co-founder of this Golden Green Foods. Sometimes people refer to me as the oat lady, so I think it's a great compliment to be the oat lady. What I'm going to tell you is a little bit of the story of the Golden Green and the next generation of plant proteins. So first, like a little box of information. This company was founded uh, five years ago in Helsinki by two food scientists and then myself. So I was basically uh, the entrepreneur behind it and the brand head and the soul and heart and everything. So we, we joined the forces and we founded this company. Yes, we have been growing quite nicely. So now we're about 70 employees already. 
Last year, we were having 5 million of revenues. We have our own factory located uh, about uh, half an hour from the Helsinki, Helsinki city. And uh, yes, we are very like a tech focused. So we have one patented innovation platform and then we are constantly developing new stuff, new stuff as well. We are currently fully owned by the Paulik group, which is like a food group uh, located in, in Northern Europe. So we just exited, uh, the founders just uh, sold out the last uh, remaining shares, but we are still uh, employed by the company. Yes, a little bit of, about our thinking behind this whole thing. Why did we found this company? So we have been thinking about that, uh, what is wrong with the food systems today. Well, let me just quickly repeat it, even though I know that every, everybody must be more or less agreeing in here that we are now just producing these empty calories and the monoagriculturing is, uh, is, is destroying our food chain. We have the meat mass production and mass consumption as well. And then we are destroying the ecosystems by the wrong kind of farming. And then we are also destroying the human health. So we do have some problems in the food chain, actually. We were basically thinking about that. Is there something what we could do? And we actually think that this is still like our biggest innovation, the way of thinking this, that we didn't start with like a normal regular development chain that you, you, you usually follow at the, at the food, food industry but we actually wanted to put the design thinking in the very, very center. And we also wanted to put our own research in the center. So things that normally come like very early or very late, we actually wanted to put those in the very center. And uh, by having like a, like a really strong focus on, on value drivenness, it's actually like a like core of our innovation. And uh, what we were thinking about is that there is like the missing link because the animal proteins, they are nutritionally good, but they are unsustainable. But then the plant proteins, they might be sustainable, but they are just nutritionally incomplete. So, so there's something that is, is missing in here. And because the Finns don't compromise, we, we gave us an assignment that we have to create the perfect protein. So what would be the perfect protein? It is something that is, of course, sustainable. So it, ca it can't be anything else than just plants. It needs to be so easy to prepare that you don't need to be like marinating and sprouting and whatever. It needs to be there ready right now. It needs to be so good in nutrition that even your personal trainer or whoever would say that this is a good thing for you to eat. And it needs to be so tasty that your family will eat it as well. And also it needs to be approachable so that it's not like a special diet food or, or something strange only for like strange people. So we decided to, to start following this and uh, look to the development. Our special thing in here was the oats, because from the very early on, we actually decided that we want to focus on the oats. It's like the Nordic superfood that is it having so much untapped potential still. And actually they say that the 2020s is the decade of oats. And it's actually like quite visible if you go to any food shelf these days that you can see all of these oat milks and oat yogurts just spreading there. And even like, like every coffee shop is selling you like the oat muffin or the oatmeal. So oat is kind of like the good guy when, for example, wheat is considered to be something bad for you. And it actually has a good reason for that because oat actually has all of these amazing health benefits. So it's good for your heart health, digestion, blood sugar. It, it has like like really, really a big list of, of different uh, elements, how it helps you. It lowers your cholesterol. It can uh, lower the chance for diabetes, stroke, heart attacks, all of those things. So this really is, is a really, really nice ingredient. And the only problem is that it's really difficult 
to, to process and it's really difficult to use, you just really have to know to how to take it. And uh, one of the main things was that um, instead of like starting to uh, develop like vegan food, we actually wanted to start developing flexitarian food. The flexitarian is, is really like one of the biggest trends that regular people who are not choosing like any special diet actually have decided to just take better choices and like they understand that there's actually a, a good, big impact. But yes, the flexitarians, they are skeptical. skeptical. So they don't really that much like the fake meat thing. They want pure products. They want to really understand. They want to have ingredients that they can pronounce. And the top drivers are really that it needs to be tasty, high quality natural ingredients. It needs to be the healthier option. And it needs to be something that everybody in the family can eat. So if you start thinking about vegan options, it's like there is something missing because normally like the vegan options are just full of these strange ingredients like stabilizers and filling agents and binders, preservatives, flavoring and so on. It's like sometimes having like even 30% of saturated fat in the product. So you might ask like, what is the point? But then at the same time, you just take the regular vegan options. Most often they're like, like really poor in protein and after eating it, you're still feeling hungry. So this is not the good thing. This is a slide that actually I borrowed from the next community. They are really thinking about these things, but I, I totally agree with this, is that there is some sort of a paradox in here, you know, that this plant-based versus clean label, they are actually like making people like really confused. You know, if you actually would want to have both, it's quite difficult. Alrighty, so um, this is the reason why we created our products. I'm just uh, showcasing a couple of them. This is the first one, the first innovation called pulled oats. So this is like a versatile clean label cooking ingredient. It has a very, uh, a very nice pulled meaty texture and it has like really high uh, protein content, about 30% of protein compared to chicken, for example, that has about 20%. So it's a clean label like very pure and clean label ingredient. And one thing, of course, that is important in here, there are people from the US. So we actually work with the Cisco. So we created, together with the Cisco, we created a, a co-branded uh, Cisco Simply a version of this product and it's available for the restaurants. We launched in February. Unfortunately, the corona a little bit uh, changed the, the launch plans because the restaurants got closed about two, three weeks after the launch. But we are just about to launch now again. So hoping for the best for that. But anyways, this is available for the restaurants quite widely in the US these days. And this is our, our uh, second product innovation called Deli Oats. So this is like a uh, more like a ready on the go protein. That is something that you can put on the on the salads and sandwiches and this uh, easy, easy foods that don't require any cooking. It's also follow, like following the same clean label requirements that we have. And the third thing that I can also tell about is that uh, we also do the industrial applications. So these products really make like many applications nutritionally more perfect and actually like uh, makes them to be more relevant as vegan options. We are very, very nitty-gritty about the protein quality. So we think that the uh, plant-based protein quality often is like really, really bad and people don't even understand it. So in order to be really like competing with the meat, you actually should be having like similar, like really in the deep levels, you have to have similar uh, uh, amino acid levels. And we are aiming, we are able to actually conclude this by having this uh, optimal composition of oats and legumes. And we do not want to fake anything. We do, do not want to be mimicking something. We just want to be good on our own. 
So if you think about that, what is the difference between, for example, us and the Beyond Meat is that they say that they really want to be meat from plants. We actually want to be like clean label plant protein or maybe plant protein that has some like a user interface borrowed from the meat, but it's like truly plant-based and doesn't, doesn't really fake to be meat. Um, we have been studying a lot about the, the environmental and, and uh, healthiness uh, factors of the products and like whatever you start measuring, you can actually see that it really makes sense. And like even to just choose like one meal per week, you will actually make like a really, really big difference. So all in all, we love the vegan food, but it not, must be healthy, wholesome, tasty and nutritious. We want to break the meat habit. And uh, this means that we actually want to make the vegan food to be so relevant that people don't just have to be filling their needs by, by adding a little bit meat, but it's actually good to have like uh, so good quality vegan food that the meat is actually not needed anymore. Thank you. Awesome, outstanding. Thank you so much and uh, congratulations on your endeavor and, and your obvious uh, success. Uh, this morning, I was listening to a, a podcast uh, uh, who with with Bjorn Oster, right? Who founder of Oatly, and also mm -hmm. from from around Scandinavia, right? Where, where is he from? Norwegian yes. or Sweden, uh, right? So so and and I see that yeah, I didn't know that that uh, Scandinavian countries are main producer, big producer in, in oats, right? And focus on on that so important, right? Uh, uh, protein. So great, uh, congratulations, uh, uh, MJ. What are you, what are your thoughts? Uh, what what are your questions uh, that uh, you have to my uh, I have so many um, really yeah, great you. thoughts that I'm ready to, to share. Um, first, I just want to say that I think you've done a really great job at setting the standard and the bar for where transparency should be with the consumer and also the nutritional considerations for your plant-based meat products. It doesn't surprise me that you have two food scientists as co-founders in your company uh, because a lot of the questions that I had going into this call have already been addressed. But I do have a question um, just out of curiosity. I've noticed that on your website, you have over 200 recipes. You also have a lot of tips and tricks that you share with your consumer audiences and not just consumers, but also food service customers as well. Um, and you even have a climate calculator. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, what have you learned or gained as far as consumer insights on their behavior as it pertains to your product's adoptability? Is there anything that you overestimated or underestimated in that consumer education cycle? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I actually could give like a really long answer for that, but maybe just a few points. Yeah, actually, right. I think that, you know, like uh, this easiness of recipes, the easiness of, of, of recipes, this is really like, you know, you really can't change everything. You have to be able to kind of like keep your routines. You want to make the pizza, just make the pizza. But you just, we just give you the new ingredient to put on your pizza. So can't really ask the consumers to, to, to make too big changes. So if they just make a one little change, that's great already. Therefore, we actually have to create all of these recipes again and again and again and again. This is one thing. The other thing what we also have learned is that food service is a really, really great tool for the education because it's like as a commitment, it's so much smaller that, you know, I just buy a good burrito for myself compared that, you know, like I try to learn new cooking and try to really make my family satisfied. But we can just do like first try it somewhere. And actually it's tasting good. Why not? I mean, it's the same Taco Bell experience. Uh, like it's the same experience and you're just taking it for yourself. And maybe in the next round, you actually would be able to, to also cook it for your family. So just taking these little steps and not requiring too much from the consumers. Thank you for that answer. Tomasa, is it okay if I ask one more question? Yeah, it's going to be quick. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
All right, all right. So my my other question, in looking at your products, correct me if I'm wrong, is one of them actually a non-hydrated product where the consumer or the food service customer would hydrate the product in-house, so therefore your product is able to travel and also be stored in ambient temperatures? No, I mean, uh, the pulled oats and the deli oats, they're just normal, like um, uh, chilled uh, chain or the frozen chain products. Mm -hmm. But we do have also these dry products for the industrial use and, and also kind of like, a, they're like a more like a public kitchens uh, use. So we are, we are basically doing both. You're doing both. Okay. And with, with the ambient supply chain where you're selling it dry, are you seeing any feedback when it comes to hydrating or using that ingredient in-house? To me, you know, as someone who's worked with these products for a number of years, I think it's pretty straightforward, but I'm just curious to know what, what you've heard as far as feedback and, and what you know to be true. Actually, we're just getting started with this thing. So we don't have like that much experiences on that. I mean, I would love mm -hmm. to stay in Dutch after this. I, I can send you like some samples and, you know, like we can get the oh, feedback. That would be awesome. If you insist, I'd love that. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Awesome. Thank you so much, MJ. Thanks to Maya. And Adamo, what are, what are your questions? What are your thoughts? Well, sure. The, the first thing is I want to say congratulations and very good presentation. I'm quite impressed. Um, I actually have a few questions, but the presentation was so good. But anyway, one important question is regarding the protein quality. I think you explained that well. Now, um, in that regard, have you done any assessment of the protein quality using some of the typical tests like the, the PDCAA? Because uh, that would be important. Uh, one of the problems with the vegan is it's okay for some people, but uh, if you want to give it to the children, probably the protein quality might not be as good for them to you know, um, meet the requirement. So again, uh, have you done any assessment in terms of the protein quality of your product, both the wet and the dry one? Yeah, so yeah, we are doing those all the time. And like we've been uh, like using the third party labs in, in many, many different countries. Yeah, different products have like slightly different uh, characteristics. So this uh, result that I was sharing in here was just for the pull dose. But yes, I mean, we actually, we, we have been measuring and we're doing that all the time. Now, uh, to be more specific, I mean, uh, if we compare your product with a, with a standard casing, what is the PDDA value for it? It's more than one, it's less than one? Yeah, sorry, but I cannot remember it by heart. I, I have to get back for you. That's fine. So I, I, ha I do have another yeah. question too. So for what I understood, so you're basically targeting the flexitarian and the type of consumer and... Um, are you mm -hmm. in, in term innovation planning or explore the use of like enzyme uh, technology fermentation to, uh, for your product? So that's done basically to improve the functional property of the protein and come up with different type mm -hmm. of category like daily type of product and so on. Yeah, I mean, really, we actually like, we are very interested in trying those, those things. And actually, uh, it's like, you know, even if as five years sounds quite a long time, but actually it's like a really, really short time. So for the first years, we were just developing the pull dose and then setting up the factory, etc. So I would say like only for the last year, we actually have been able to like start again, like the big new innovation uh, thinking. And yes, we actually have quite many nice experiments okay. happening but you're so right that you know like one shouldn't stop where you are you really have to explore and i'm, I'm i really think that you know this is like the whole whole point of like in the being in the food tech business that you actually should turn every stone 
Yeah. But yes, I, I, I totally agree. Very somatic because I know that you're basically using extrusion for for your product. So at least sound uh, a lot of opportunity uh, beyond extrusion. That's it. That's what I have. I, I absolutely yeah. agree. Thank you so much, Adelmo. Maya, intriguing story one more time. Uh, did, were you aware five years ago that you are actually on a big wave already of, of changing the world, of being in a, in, a, in a topic that today is very, let's say, almost mainstream? Because, I mean, today we're talking, you know, really more and more about alternative protein, right? And the future of food and how we're going to feed people in 2050, right? So what was your thinking when you kicked off things? What was your perspective? Was it more, I want to do something? Or were you really with a mission-driven approach, a purpose-driven approach, and wanted to do something on, on uh, you know, food tech and alternative protein? Was this the mission from the get-go? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a funny question, you know, because actually uh, my background, it says I have never eaten basically meat. I have always been like this and I was always on special diet. So I always thought that, you know, I'm the freak one. So the others are normal. And I, I'm just kind of like the special diet girl. But then now I'm suddenly realizing that I'm not on special diet anymore. You know, things have changed. And right. actually, like, I kind of like get the feeling that we were on the right track. And it's yeah. so motivating. And actually yeah. the nicest thing is just it's just now getting started. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, I want to double down on that. You know, you said it. It's just getting started. Uh, but on the other hand, you also said that you went already through the first phase, uh, through the first cycle, initial success. You talked about your revenue. Congratulations on that, Ed. Within five years, it's impressive as a startup. Maybe you want to share here with the executives and also with the startups that are watching this, right? Um, how did you build actually your startup in Europe? Did you raise funds? Uh, um, how, how did you go about this from the get-go? The thing is that we actually, uh, when we got started, we had like slightly different uh, plans of how to build it. So our, um, our little accident was that we actually like, uh, got into a like, huge viral phenomenon on our home market. So we were actually planning that, you know, this cannot even sell in, in Finland because it's like, uh, you know, like rather traditional market and so on. But what happened was that the market got so bananas about the product. So people were like 6 a.m. in the morning waiting in front of the stores just trying to get that product. And somebody was coding an app that reminds him when the product is arriving to the wow. store. So people were like entirely mad about that. So that was kind of like just a little side effect that, you know, like we just had to fulfill the need of the home market first. And only after that, we were able to start with Cisco and the, you know, the other, other companies from the other markets. So yeah, this was kind of like a, like a head start, you know, we got the little tsunami and actually this was one of the main reasons that we decided that we would take the industrial partner on the game because we decided that uh, as nice as it's like working with the venture, capitalists they really do not want to put their money on your factory you know <laughs> so they would rather put the money on the expansion and the international inter international uh, efforts but like you know just uh, like actually building the, the real concrete factory it's something that you have to do if you want to produce something especially in our case when it was a new tech nobody was able to like make a contract manufacturing plan for us wow yes. so so this is very interesting so on one hand you had uh, 
you had really a backwind and, and you, you accelerate, you know, the demand was there. So you, you had a validation from the get-go and then you had the industry working with you together. You didn't go the classical, let's say, startup route of raising funds. What I would be intrigued and I'm confident that this question, this or your answer uh, would be, would be of, of interest for the audience is, what was your urge as an entrepreneur? after five years what, what, what was your thought now that you're actually as you were saying really starting off starting off with innovation why now exiting and already into the industry what was what was the motivation what was your thinking well i have to say that you know we already signed the deal like when we made the first uh, first partnership so we already signed a deal that you know like after certain years uh, the founders will be exiting the company so it was already set on that day oh you did it from the get-go from the beginning when we decided to take the partnership and i mean it was a very very important thing for us to choose a partner that is actually sharing the same values that we do not want to be somebody's like a, you know like whitewashing for somebody we actually want to have a credible partner who really wants to invest in this and who wants to take it forward yes. I see, I see. So this was an agreement before. Very interesting, interesting from a perspective of uh, your audience that you see different countries, different way of approaching business, right? Uh, it, it wouldn't be maybe the classical way, but a great success story. Again, uh, Maya, CEO and co-founder at Golden and Green Foods. Congratulations. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Very valuable. And without further ado, I would like now to kick off things with the second phase of our top floor where we curate handpicked startup and present and present to industry fellow, Daniel Rigla. Daniel, are you ready to rock the stage? I'll start to say I'm very glad that Maya went first because I think we're actually very aligned in how we see the market and the opportunity. And I think she very awesome. nicely expressed a lot of the views that we have on the space and the opportunity. And uh, we've taken a really very similar uh, sort of innovation framework approach to looking at what is you know really missing in the market we we know the opportunity for plant-based meats is huge you know from a sustainability from an ethical but most importantly from a health uh, public health standpoint and, and ultimately what really drives consumer behavior especially you know where we're based which is asia i think the most important thing is really sort of we take a slightly different approach uh, so we're we're karana we're based in in singapore and we our, our focus, our, our brand is very much focused on, on the CPG and food service end of things as well. We also focus in on a hero ingredient to start, which is jackfruit. And it's, it's a very similar, similar approach. We, we look at, you know, what is really driving consumer adoption in the space. And really the question that keeps coming back is health. When we see, you know, who is ultimately going to really grow and move this market, it's this flexitarian segment. Uh, and these are people who are not necessarily looking to become vegan, you know, maybe inspired and, and motivated partly by certain uh, environmental or ethical considerations, but ultimately really driven by how they're going to improve their own health, their family's health. Uh, and our approach, I think, differs a little bit in that we actually, and I think this, this goes into MJ's question a lot about sort of under overestimating consumers and what they're looking for. What we really see is that the protein angle is a bit overplayed at this point. Yes, everyone needs protein. Getting a complete amino acid profile is very important, but there are a lot of channels available for people to do that. And your typical consumer is really focused on, you know, understanding at a very quick and, and accessible level what 
is you know healthy or not about this product and then beyond that everything else is, is an additional benefit that that some consumers will be more or less uh, you know motivated by and so for us it's very about keeping a very clean messaging around whole plants showing that we can and and our approach has been mostly on the R&D side and innovation on the ingredient area so we focus in on jackfruit as a crop and it has an incredible sustainability story. Um, it's scalable in both a plantation and a smallholder farmer format as a mixed intercrop. So again, I think uh, the, the biodiversity and, and monoculture issue with a lot of the commodity crops that we're focusing on, you know, looking exclusively at how we can isolate and, and extract the proteins from them, rather than looking at this, you know, tremendous source of very interesting ingredients that we can use in a more natural state, which now there still is quite a bit of intensive. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have tried a jackfruit product and have a subpar experience. So there's a lot of innovation, R&D, IP that goes into taking something like jackfruit and, and turning it into a really interesting commercial product. Uh, so we focus very much on that side of things, on the R&D side of things, on the ingredient side and the end product formulation. And what we're really seeking to do is provide as convenient and as accessible a package as possible uh, to deliver this whole plant nutritional meat alternative format to consumers, especially with a very Asian focus. So our first product range is focused on a line of, of dumpling and dim sum products. We also have a, a general pulled pork uh, food service product. We're very much in agreement that I think this artificial mock meat positioning, which again is something that has existed in Asia for a long, long time, you know, soy-based meats, uh, wheat gluten-based meats, this is nothing new uh, in, in many parts of the world. Uh, so really it's about how we can fundamentally improve those products, how we can deliver something that, that is different, something that addresses not just the protein element, which is a fairly small part of our, our story and of our nutritional profile, but really the whole macro and micronutrient picture. So things like fiber, um, like you know, various micronutrients that, that people are, are naturally not getting a lot of things like potassium, calcium, and really you know, thinking about how we can make that as, as clear a purchasing decision as possible. So it's gotta be delicious, it's gotta be very appealing, it's gotta deliver a very similar textural experience to meat, so yeah, you'll, you'll see this is, this is basically <laughs> what our pitch looks like. And we've just closed our, our, our seed round of 1.7 million. So we ended up a little oversubscribed on that. In the last couple of months, we're also in the process of, of scaling up our, our new product. Uh, so this is really the, the new generation. We, we released the beta product into the Singapore market uh, over the last year. And that's been kind of a, a pretty basic level jackfruit product. And, and what we did with that was we engaged with a lot of chefs. We really understood what the natural limits of that product were and where we needed to get it to in order to really take it from, you know, a kind of simple jackfruit into a jackfruit whole plant based meat. And that's where we are now. We're getting ready to, we're also a bit delayed due to the whole current situation, but we will be rolling that out in the next uh, few months. Um, and you know, we'll be launching in Singapore to start, but really looking broadly at the APAC market, but also seeing a lot of opportunity in, in Western markets for Asian-focused products. Um, and again, it's really about convenience. It's about being accessible, um, but really showing that we, we can look at these other ingredients. You know, it's not just about protein. It's not just about soy and pea, that there are all these other ingredients that have a very compelling, very scalable story. If that investment and, and R&D is, is put into them and that there is an interest. I mean, there, there's a clear 
upward trend in jackfruit products, even despite really a lack of very sophisticated products in the market. There's no real industry council or promotional council, you know, pushing jackfruit. It's still a very fragmented, uh, very smallholder-driven crop. So I think it's very important, and we would love to see more companies that are also looking for these underutilized, underappreciated inputs that can really, you know, be leveraged and turned into something quite interesting uh, from a product perspective. Awesome. So thank you so much, Dan. Yeah, I'm confident we have all a couple of questions. Uh, Adamo, you want to go first? Yeah, I do, I do. So um, very good presentations. Uh, I got a question for you, Dan. Uh, you're talking about uh, plant meat. So what is the protein content of this product? Yeah, so just the jackfruit itself, I mean, typically you're looking at, it can vary a little bit by the product format. We have a few different ways we, we put it into product. So depending on what the, what the final makeup is, it's, it's usually a few grams of protein per 100 grams. So it's not a high protein product. I mean, it's not in the same league as soy or pea or oat. But again, what we consistently see is that, and, and one of the reasons that we've looked at things like dumplings and bows as a delivery vehicle in a lot of these ready to cook products that provides a lot of opportunity for us to add in more protein. So that's always been kind of core in our product development strategy. But what we've consistently seen is that honestly, most consumers are not desperately asking for protein. When you're switching to really majority plant-based, then it becomes a bit more of a topic, but you're, the customer profile that we continuously see is someone who is not necessarily giving up meat, but reducing meat once, twice, maybe a little bit more per week. And what they're looking for is really an effective taste and, and something that's healthier. Um, that again, is not going to be too much of a departure in terms of how they would experience consuming, preparing, working with that, that product. So um, we've actually, we were a bit concerned about the protein element early on, and we got a lot of, you know, questions from investors on that during our raise. But I think that that Part of the topic is diminishing. There's so much focus on protein now, and there's a lot in the nutritional world beyond protein that is important for us. Yeah, but I, I still, I feel, it's a, I feel there is a disconnect because the people actually is looking also uh, for nutrition, health, and then if you're talking about shredded pork, and then which is very low in protein, some of the consumer might not buy it. They think nutritional pork comes from also they provide a, a amount of protein that is required. But I think that the premise of that, of that is that consumers are only looking at protein as a deciding factor on what to buy. And again, we were also leading primarily with food service, but if you look, if you go look at what people are buying in the frozen aisle at Whole Foods, Costco, or what they're ordering on restaurants when they're going to eat dim sum, I think there will be a very small percentage of people buying those products that are really motivated by getting a very set number of grams of protein in their serving. Most people are looking at calories. They're looking at understanding the ingredient list and understanding, you know, very quickly what that provides to them. So again, and people eat a variety of food products. So, you know, we're not expecting that people are going to be eating jackfruit three meals a day, seven days a week. You know, people tend to naturally eat a balanced diet. If you eat a whole plant balanced diet, you will get 60% of Americans are eating way more protein than they should be. So actually there's, we, what we see in almost all developed food secure markets is an overabundance and an overconsumption of protein. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Adamo, MJ. Dan, thank you so much for your presentation. I have a question regarding your hero ingredient, which you mentioned is jackfruit. I'm curious if you have any priority concerns regarding its supply chain and if you foresee the need for a vertical integration in your strategy. 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's a big concern for us. And it's, it's a big topic because, like I said, it's a very fragmented, not very well established supply chain. The interesting thing about jackfruit and one of the reasons that we narrowed in on it uh, as when we looked at a variety of similar ingredients is that there's a lot of bioavailability of jackfruit. It's really inefficient in the aggregation, the routes to market, and the, how it's processed and, and, and commercialized currently. So we've really focused in on that processing element and then linking that to the supply chain. So we have a number of uh, sourcing models. Currently, we have a network of small and medium-sized, you know, natural, wild, organic farms in Sri Lanka that we're sourcing from. And we can scale to a pretty decent level through that network just because of the, I mean, jackfruit is a very prolific plant. It's a very low maintenance, low tech, low intensive crop to farm for even farmers with very limited inputs. So there's a lot of it immediately available. It's really being able to identify those networks and, and collect them. and and. We have a lot of expertise on our team in terms of managing similar similar projects and similar markets to the kind of places where, where jackfruit tends to grow, you know, Sri Lanka, India, um, Southeast Asia, um, which are not always the most transparent or, or easy markets to operate in. So that's that's a core area of our defensibility and our IP as well as both, you know, innovations and, and optimization on the sourcing and supply chain side, as well as we've developed a whole turnkey line to process the jackfruit. Um, so we own that as well. So that allows us to have a lot more flexibility in terms of where we're looking at sourcing. Thank you for that answer. That was very thorough. And I didn't anticipate that you'd also <laughs> I've be spent a lot of time looking manufacturer at jackfruit sourcing the, the last couple of, the of years. Ingredients. So there's one thing I can talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, on that note, are you able to share what the lead time is? Like, let's say you were able to attract a really big retail client and they wanted to sell you a very um, or purchase a very large volume from you annually. What would be the lead time for you to grow and harvest potentially new jackfruit trees in order to meet a, a very large demand? At this point, we're, so like I said, we've been a bit delayed the last few months due to everything. So we're a bit behind schedule. We're in the first stage of rolling out this kind of new generation of our product. We've been testing it actively um, and we're going to be rolling out in a fairly small scale food service launch to start and then we'll be scaling it over the next year. So we're actually dealing with the situation a lot and we're, I mean, these are all long-term conversations anyway, but we're seeing a lot of interest in this kind of product and uh, it, it will take us a little incremental, you know, scale up time to, to get there, but uh, we're, we're moving on it as quickly as we can because yeah, it's, it's very much a demand-driven business. Well, thank you so much, MJ, and uh, thank you so much, uh, Dan. Dan, how big is, is your startup? You said you just raised how much? Uh, 1.7 million. Ah, congratulations, congratulations. This was what, kind of an A round or first round? How would you this call it? This is our seed round, yeah. Our seed round, wow, for wow, wow. a million, that's, that's already notable. So congrats, double congrats on that. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, and because we always like to link uh, the entire conversation with innovation and corporate styled innovation, uh, are these classical VCs or angel monies or friends and family with deep pockets or, or who basically contributed in, 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 this, in the seed round? Sure. So it, it was a mix. It was um, so early on, we had a couple of, of angels and, and friends and family sort of get us going uh, with small tickets. And then we've been kind of raising this round. It's, it's dragged on a little bit to the end, but it's been a combination of VCs, big idea ventures, uh, fairly well-known food okay. VC fund. We we're part of their accelerator program and, and they're an investor in us. Um, but we also have a number, I would say, I think what we really focused on and where our our messaging resonated a lot, and I'm, I'm sure Maya can relate to this, is that 
when you're doing something a bit different and a bit more longer term and in the positioning, I think, you know, a lot of VCs have been looking for something that, that is very familiar in terms of a model. So we, we found that our value proposition resonated a lot more with corporates and strategics, and we do have a number of those uh, in the round. Nice. And, and how would you describe the challenges that you faced while building your strategic pipeline? What was, I mean, ultimately greater worked out, but what would you describe as a challenge? Because this is the lesson learned where we might want to share here. What would, how would you describe the approach on negotiating, approaching, you know, and presenting? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one of the biggest risks for any startup is, is partnership. And that applies to your investors, to your operational. I mean, again, you know, what we do with the Jackford sourcing, processing, everything, it's deep operational work in countries where we just cannot build out a full-scale presence. So we're very reliant on partners at a lot of stage of what we do, and I think most startups are. So managing that, I mean, I think that in, in everything from selecting a co-founder to building out your team, I mean, keeping that in mind that you're going to be very dependent on, you know, all your stakeholders, uh, you know, you just have to really be careful about who you're getting involved with and make sure that they understand and appreciate, you know, where you're coming from and, and, your products and, and approach. And it just has to be, I mean, I think for us, it's been a, a slow process and it's been, you know, a number of learning experiences. We just try to learn at every point. Slow, you mentioned slow, and then you, <laughs> you kind of put the title of learning. So break down two, three learnings for us, please. So what was the learning out of, of this slow process? Well, I think, like, like I mentioned before, understanding what, you know, people and funds are looking for. At the beginning, it's very easy okay. to get, you know, drawn into to big names and to okay. saying yes, because obviously sustainable food, alternative proteins, meat is a very hot sector, especially in Asia. Okay. There's not a huge amount of companies. So everyone wants to talk to you. Everyone wants to look at you. And over time, we, we became a lot more selective and a lot better at screening, you know, what conversations were more likely to move forward, you know, where we were not overexposing ourselves in terms of giving up too much information about what we're doing. And okay. so that, that was definitely, I think, some okay. learning early. So being basically delicate on how much you share, and then obviously also uh, being a very cautious on how much time you share with whom or you, you dedicate actually with whom. It, it, and, exactly. and in terms of uh, the, the, the most uh, successful path into the cooperation, what department uh, resonated the best in your, in your fundraising approach? Was it the strategy, the, you know, the BD department, was it business unit level, where, was it the scientist? What, where did you find more, more what, what was the pathway if there, is, there was any? At, at, at our stage, I think it's it's a combination of, of the strategy and your sort of the, the longer term vision and positioning combined with the technical expertise. So, I mean, clear, like we, we knew both my, my co-founder and I both come from the business and commercial side of looking at the, the food space um, and, and, agric and agriculture space. And so we knew that was critical to build out, you know, get a great technical hire and, and build out that element. We knew what needed to be done. We just had to find uh, the right people to, to get us there. And that definitely, you know, accelerated a lot of things, both internally with the company and the products, obviously, but also in terms of our conversations with partners, investors, everything. So getting that technical credibility that, you know, those first technical hires, getting those first milestones hit and really delivering. I mean, the vision and strategy is all important and great. And that's certainly what gets you in the door with investors. But then obviously following through on, on the technical and product milestones is critical. 
Awesome, outstanding, ladies and gentlemen, guys. We could talk for hours here. I think the topic is so engaging and it's so interesting and, and the round that we put together. I'm really thankful, especially because I learn every single time. That's exactly my mission every day, learning something new. So I did learn something new. Thank you so much, Adelmo, MJ, Dan, and Maya. And now, without further ado, we get into the finals and MJ and Adelmo here deciding if they want to continue the conversation with Maya, let's start out. Adelmo, do you want to continue the conversation with Maya, yes or no? Yes, actually, this is very exciting. And again, uh, for both Dan and Maya, the technology in plant protein is just uh, exploding and it's very exciting what's going on, not only from the nutritional part of it, but also sustainability and just making Earth, uh, saving Earth. That's amazing. I'm so excited about it. Beautiful. Perfecto. Perfecto. Our team will make an introduction, Adelmo, to Maya and Adelmo. How about Dan? You want to continue the conversation? Yes or no? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Yes. Wow. Awesome. We have uh, two other people with I'll, Adelmo. I'll convince you on protein, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. And MJ, what are your thoughts? Let's kick off things with Dan. You want to continue the conversation with Dan? Of course I do. Gosh, it'd be so awkward if I didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. I, in all seriousness, Dan and Maya, I would be happy to connect with you after this call, uh, at least to, to get to know one another. We're working in the same space. Uh, we have a lot of relevancy, and I'm really interested in the, the work that you're both doing in, in all genuineness. Perfecto. Awesome. Outstanding. So we have also two thumbs up from MJ for Dan and as well for Maya. And on the awesome mentor side, we'd be more than happy to continue the conversation and explore exactly where you stand and how we can be of any help. So you have three yeses on one side, three yeses on the other side. And, and I always end up on a quote. Actually, to be more precisely, I crafted a quote myself. I learned to craft, I sensed, I feel this quote over the last 20 years. It took me a while because experience after experience, right? And I usually ramp up always our um, talks and, and, and conversation with that, which goes like this. Never forget where you come from. It keeps you humble. But where you come from cannot limit you where you want to go. I would like to thank you so much for participation. Thank you, Adelmo. Thank you, MJ. Dan and Maya, and have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Oh, bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody.